Hi, this is Kenny Duff, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, folks, and a very happy and blessed Christmas to you and yours. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's my honor to be with you on this Christmas Sunday, December 25th. Welcome to our Sunday sermon. We're wrapping up our sermon series called The Colors of Christmas. So far, we've talked about the colors green, blue, and gold. Today, we'll look at the last color of Christmas, white. And the main scripture reference will be Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 79. I'm so excited to share with you today, but before I do, will you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, happy birthday to you, Lord, as we celebrate your birth today. What an amazing opportunity we have to worship you and praise your name. Lord, teach us from your word today on this final color of our series, the color white, and what that means to us. Lord, I thank you so much for all you have done. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. I have a song that I'd like to sing with you. It's one that's very familiar, and I'll tell you why we're going to do it in just a minute. But it was first recorded in 1942 by Bing Crosby. If you guessed White Christmas, you'd be right. So sing that with me right now. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright and may all your christmases be white now i know you're wondering what are we doing singing that song in a sunday sermon hang on with me because you'll see the point momentarily now white christmas that song is the christmas song of the united states it was originally recorded by bing crosby all the way back in 1942 and it became so popular that he had to re-record it in 1947 because the master copies became so worn beyond use. Its popularity had a lot to do with the fact that America had just gone to war. Our people found themselves in a confusing and unstable world, loved ones being shipped off to the battlefront, not knowing if they would ever see their families again. And so this song had a powerful impact on American soldiers. They dreamt of a white Christmas when they could come home again. And when that white Christmas came, all would be merry and bright. For centuries, the Jews had dreamed of their own white Christmas. For centuries, they had been given promises that predicted the coming of a Messiah. And that Messiah would bring salvation to his people, forgiveness for their sins, and light and peace to those who were God's people. So the Jews were looking forward to a time when life would be merry and bright again. Isaiah had predicted that when that day came, though your sins are like scarlet, I, the Lord, will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I, the Lord, will make them as white as wool. 
Isaiah 1.18. Through Isaiah, God had declared that there would be a white Christmas for his people. There would be a day when their lives would be cleansed as white as snow, and their lives, they would be changed forever. Now, over the centuries, as the Jews watched for this Messiah, they waited and waited and waited. And they waited so long, they actually began to wonder if he was ever coming. They became a people so filled with despair that they were literally living in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's an old hymn that describes that despair that filled Israel. I think you would know the words. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. At this point, let's take a few moments to read the full scripture text for today. So open your Bible or Bible apps to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 57, go all the way to 79. All right, Luke 1, 57 to 79. Follow along as I read. This first portion talks about the birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell on the whole neighborhood, and news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? for the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And now we'll pick up with verse 67. Some of your Bibles may have a section titled, Zechariah's Prophecy. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. So when the angel appeared to Zechariah, he was initially skeptical. But when he fully understood the significance of his unborn son's life ministry, he knew his son was going to herald in the long-promised Messiah. 
As a result, God allowed Zechariah to make a prophecy not only about his son's ministry, but about this Messiah who was finally coming to change the lives of God's people. So, how was this Messiah going to change people's lives? Well, for one thing, Jesus came down from heaven to shine his light into the darkness of our souls. In John 8:12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now look again at Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. Zechariah tells us that because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. He was to shine a light on those living in darkness. How did he accomplish this? How did Jesus shine light into our lives? Now, I realize there are several different ways to apply this, but it occurred to me that part of what Jesus came to do was to declare to us a different way to look at life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 20, Paul writes, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Without Christ, people live lives that are often darkened in their understanding. But once they come to know Christ, they should think differently. They should be totally different than the world. For instance, in Matthew 5, we have these teachings from Jesus. Matthew 5, starting with verses 21 and 22, Jesus taught us that you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. The world hears the command, do not commit adultery. And they think, it's okay to look, but don't touch. But in verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The world looks at the biblical command to those in authority that justice should be an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and they think to themselves, it's okay to seek personal revenge. But Jesus said in verses 38 to 40, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. So Jesus was basically telling people, change how you look at life. Refuse to live lives filled with bitterness, lust, and selfishness. Don't behave like those whose hearts are darkened by these things. Live lives that reflect the light and peace I want to create in you. Now, there are people who believe that was all Jesus came to do. They believe he only came to teach us how to live. But Zachariah says, no, the Messiah had another task. Referring to his son John's mission, he said in verse 77 of the text, Luke 1, 77, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. You see, a lot of people have a very warped view of salvation. They view salvation as a kind of do-it-yourself thing. 
1988, a little after midnight, Christmas Day, a 19-year-old woman was driving through East Los Angeles and apparently fell asleep behind the wheel of her car. Her car plunged through a guardrail of a bridge and was left dangling by its left rear wheel. For the next two and a half hours, 25 rescuers and concerned bystanders worked feverishly to pull her to safety. One of the firemen in the midst of the rescue effort commented that the woman kept saying, I'll do it myself, I'll do it myself. Folks, lots of people are like that. They look at their sins like a balance sheet. Their sins have plunged them over the edge of the bridge of life and they think that they're gonna just try a little bit harder and if they do and they take care of a few more things, have a few more good works in their lives, then they're going to be pulled back from the brink and they'll go to heaven. They basically say to themselves, I can do it myself. I don't need God or anyone else to help me. But the message that is repeated throughout the Bible is, it won't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't be good enough to be good enough to please God. Heaven cannot be bought. It's a free gift from God. But people have a hard time accepting the idea that God would give them anything free. A preacher was trying to explain this to the congregation. Just before the sermon, he placed a beautiful poinsettia plant up on the stage. Then the preacher pointed to the plant and explained it was free to anyone. Someone snickered, what's the catch? No catch, it's free, he said. No one moved. A college student asked, is it glued to the altar? Everyone laughed. The preacher said, it's not glued to the altar, nor are there any strings attached. It's yours for the taking. Well, asked a pretty teenager, can I take it after service? The preacher shook his head. No, you must come and get it now. Does that strike a bell? Today is the day of salvation. What about that? Hmm. Finally, a woman the preacher had never seen before stood up in the back. She came to the front very quickly as if she was afraid she'd change her mind. As she got to the altar, she picked up the plant and said, I'll take it. As she returned to her seat carrying the free gift, the preacher launched with enthusiasm into their text, Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he went on to preach that the gift of God is eternal life. It's free. The preacher continues and he writes, When the service ended and most of the people had gone home, the woman who claimed the poinsettia came to the platform where I was picking up my Bible to leave. Here, she held out her hand. This flower is too pretty to just take home for free. I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. I looked down at the crumpled paper she stuffed into my hand. It was a $10 bill. This woman couldn't accept the idea of anything being free from God, and yet it was. Salvation is a free gift from God, beloved, but it did come with a price. It didn't cost us anything, but it cost God everything. The knowledge of salvation must include the idea of our receiving forgiveness from God for sins. Unless our sins are forgiven, we will not get into heaven. No matter how nice we may be, how morally we may have lived, or how many little old ladies we've helped across the street, unless God removes our sins, we won't be allowed to come into his presence. God spent centuries teaching his people the need for sacrifices to bring forgiveness of sins. God's people sacrificed birds, sheep, goats, and cattle. And the implied message was, if you are to be forgiven, something has to die. Hebrews 9.22 says it this way. In fact, 
According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. For us to receive forgiveness for our sins, something or someone had to die. And Isaiah had declared that this would be the fate of the Messiah when he wrote in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 7. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. You know the song White Christmas declared that a person's life could be changed by a chance winter storm. The Bible tells us that our lives can only be changed by the deliberate act of Jesus. This world looks for satisfaction in all kinds of places. They look for it in their possessions, relationships, parties, even what kind of weather they enjoy, either bright sunshine or white snow. But the problem is that all those solutions are short-lived and they will eventually melt away. Jesus warned us in Matthew 6:19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Writer Roy Lesson once observed, if your greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Amen to that. In a recent sermon I was reading by Pastor Jeff Strite, he shared a story about a man named John Mays. I found it really fascinating and very applicable for today, so I'd like to share it with you. Mays said, I was on my honeymoon in the Bahamas when a man walked up to me and said, would you like to buy some cocaine? You can tell everyone how much you really enjoyed the Bahamas. After I said no and got over the shock of that man's boldness, I wondered how Jesus would have responded if someone came up to him selling drugs. Later that day, someone else came up to me selling drugs, and that gave me another chance to share Jesus with them in a most creative way. After he told me that he had the good stuff, I asked him, what have you got? Once he said cocaine, here's what I said. Is that all you have? I'm disappointed. I was hoping you'd have something better than that. You see, I've got the real thing. What I have is all natural, pure, and very powerful, and it makes you feel great all day and all night. And get this, it may be illegal in some countries, but not in this one, so you cannot get arrested for having it. By this time, the man was very curious and asked me what this incredible stuff was I was talking about. I said, I'm talking about having Jesus in your heart. It's awesome what he'll do for you when you get him inside of you. No drug in all the world is as good as having Jesus in you. The man stopped smiling and got real serious, had this real serious look on his face and said, I want what you have. How do I get it? That's a good question, isn't it, folks? How do you get it? How do you get the gift of God that goes beyond the passing joy of a white Christmas? First, you believe 
John 20, 31. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then you accept that you're a sinner and that only Jesus can remove that sin and you determine to repent or turn away from accepting sin as a normal way of life. Next, confess Jesus as your Lord. Make him Lord and master of everything you own. Then allow yourself to be buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. And when you rise up out of the water, you will be as white as snow. Beloved, the choice is yours this Christmas day. I hope that you will choose to follow Jesus. You'll choose to acknowledge him for who he is and allow him to transform your life so that you can truly experience a white Christmas. Thanks for taking time to listen today. God bless you. And once again, a very happy and blessed Christmas to you. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.